and gentlemen, welcome back to Q&A questions with your favorite athletes, but this time we've got a doctor in the house for episode 25, Dr. Elliot Cleveland of Limitless Therapy, a doctor in physical therapy as well. Now, a huge one that I've wanted to try and debunk for a long time is the belief that cardio kills muscle gains. <laughs> Could you tell me a bit more about that? Because personally, that's one that I've always been confused on, and a big reason why I haven't done much cardio also that could just be an excuse for me not to do cardio but <laughs> could you dive into that a bit oh it's vanity right all is vanity why would we do cardio when that kills our muscle gains yeah it does some so um the and i would definitely also talk with the strength and conditioning staff on this because they'd be go be able to go more in depth the last time i was looking at the research it was recommending do your cardio at the end Hmm. Not at the beginning, mm -hmm. because you would not be able to hit the same strength and peak force production numbers mm -hmm. after you've already fatigued yourself with cardio activity. Um, and so that's where you're going to gain your growth in muscle. So you have to prescribe everything appropriately. You have muscle hypertrophy, which is muscle growth. That requires a certain exercise prescription, a certain amount of sets, reps, and resistance. Mm -hmm. Then if you're wanting strength or power, you change, and it's almost like you're at this soundboard pulling different levers based on what you want to get out of your body. And so it's really important to be prescriptive in that and know exactly what you're going for. But cardio is important. Cardio becomes more important as we age because our heart health is so important to longevity in life. Um, one of the things as you age is that type two muscle fibers start to, um, you, you become less able to have them and recruit them and gain new ones. Mm -hmm. So your peak for type two muscle fibers, which is your power and strength right now, is at its best in life, kind of mm -hmm. at your age. If you're a young student athlete, yes. then as you age, you become more able to sustain the type one endurance muscle fibers versus mm -hmm. the type two. So um, that's why you see endurance athletes having a little bit longer of a career. People in their 50s and 60s are still running marathons mm -hmm. really well. Um, so that, that gives a little bit to it. It is a truth. Yeah. <laughs> Cardio prevents gains has some mm. science behind it, uh -huh. but your heart health is also important. Yes. Your cardio stamina is important to preventing injuries and being, um, having the fatigue or withstanding the fatigue, I should say, in games and in practices. Now so. you've mentioned longevity, heart health, diet has a lot to do with that as well. And there's a lot of diet myths out there in regards to just you know, nutrition in general and how athletes should be eating and how the eating process helps with recovery process as well. Could you dive into that a bit? Because I know there are a lot of nutritionists out there, as we talked about on the phone yesterday. You know, could you just dive into that? Yeah, what is a nutritionist? That's not a protected word. They don't exist. Yeah, that means anyone exist. could be a nutritionist. Mm -hmm. People who have gone to school and gotten um, licensed are typically dietitians, not nutritionists. You can be a nutrition expert. You can put that in your Instagram bio <laughs> just for the fun of it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not a legal protected word, so nobody can claim ownership of that title. Um, what you want to do, though, is think, what is the fuel I need for my individual task? Hmm. And food has to be viewed as fuel for you as an athlete. Yes, you can have some enjoyment. That's not. I'm not saying don't enjoy what you eat, yes. but also make sure that you know what your body is going to run through. And you are a sports car. Like if you're a college athlete, you are the Lamborghinis of cars. You're not a Honda coming in here that we're just working on for reliability. Yeah. You require premium fuel because you are a premium 
athlete at this moment in time. Your body is in peak condition. So we've got to be able to put the right nutrients in it so that you can recover. And I see a lot of athletes not realizing how many calories they actually burn in a day. They don't realize how high their metabolism is and how much they do. I mean, so many, if you go to Anderson or any college campus, their athletes are starting at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning with workouts. And then they go to class all day, which is burning calories because that is brain power. Your brain needs those calories to function. Hmm. And then they go into practice after that. Mm-hmm. And really, they, they don't stop until you know their head hits the bed at night. Yeah. And when they're sleeping, their body is thinking, their brain is processing things. If you want to perform better mentally, you'd better be fueling yourself well with nutrition and also not forget hydration. Mm. That's a big factor. When we talk about recovery, we talk about sleep, we talk about nutrition. Most people don't realize how important the hydration piece is. A symptom of dehydration is mental fatigue. Hmm. So if you've ever been out at a practice and people are, you haven't had a water break in a while, but it's hot outside and you start to see players just making mental errors that they wouldn't otherwise make, or maybe they weren't making at the beginning of practice. Mm-hmm. And in back in the day, the response to that was, we're not taking a water break until we stop making these mental errors. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those mental errors might be due to the fact that you haven't had a water break. Yeah. <laughs> so when I was coaching, I would set a timer for myself. And you don't, it's a mindset shift. We don't gain any points for dehydrating our players. We make our practice less productive. Yeah. And then they're done for the day. Maybe they're mentally or physically done for the next 24 hours until their body's fully rehydrated. Mm-hmm. And you can cause medical emergencies to happen for that. Um, so now we have to be very proactive and put some markers in place for ourselves. So at the state level, state high school athletic associations often have a hydration prescription amount like Mm -hmm. if it is over a certain temperature outside or a certain heat index or wet bulb globe temperature then you have to have this much time off say five minutes every 30 minutes to allow your athletes to rest and recover Hmm. so i would set a timer for myself so that i didn't push into that no matter as a coach how great your information may be it's much worse when students are dehydrated yes and i would say to my students, my performers, that I'm going to go ahead and set a timer here, and it's going to give you a break that is this long, five minutes. Mm -hmm. I expect that you come back from that ready to go, and I want you to really take a break during those five minutes, and we're going to give you more time on the front end of this, and say I might give them three minutes every 15 minutes, and be really quick with short spurts of intense uh, practice, then little breaks that Mm -hmm. give them adequate rest and recovery. I say, you come back from those three minutes, and we're going to go really hard for the next 15. All right, Mm -hmm. then you're going to get another little round of breaks. Mm -hmm. Whatever that amount is for their athletic association or their conference standards. But being educational up front is really important to athletes Mm -hmm. because if they understand why you're doing something and you respect their time, they're going to give you that respect back. Mm -hmm. So if I stopped when the timer went off and didn't keep coaching afterwards and trying to finish what I got to say – I can always finish that when they come back and they're going to be in a better mood. Exactly. Um, your athletes would get through practice much quicker, much more efficiently. And respect you a lot more or yes. the coach a lot more, which helps in the long run of things. Right. Can you be consistent in doing that? So. Yeah. And from there, you know, you talked about respect and you talked about you know, how athletes go from 530 in the morning all the way till their, be- till their head hits the pillow. A lot of that has to do with mental aspects. 
of their of their life and of their game. Mental health, especially, plays a huge role in injury, the comeback from an injury, or you know, right after an injury happens. You know, could you dive into the whole mental health aspect of what athletes have to go through, specifically the ones who go through injuries? Yes, an injury is not just a physical issue. So much of whatever happens takes a psychological toll mm-hmm. on an athlete, and that psychology has to be addressed the entire time in their recovery and then after their recovery to make sure that they are coming back appropriately. Mm. One of the things I've done that's been the most beneficial in my career is partner with one of excuse me, the top sports psychology firms in the country. So they're in Minnesota, and they work with the Minnesota Twins, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Mm. Um, my friend who I work the most closely with in that organization is actually – a UFC specialist as well. So, you know, he's helping them prepare their mindsets for performance and then also handling the mental health conversations on the other side. But the mental health and the physical health have to go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Athletes and injuries are not just nuts and bolts situation. We used to think that. We used to think, oh, you got a weak muscle, let's make it stronger. Mm -hmm. Or you tore something, let's go ahead and, you know, prepare the environment for optimal healing of that muscle tissue. But athletes often have thoughts of what happened when I got hurt. Oh gosh, that was a terrible event. How can I talk about that? How can I I get through and process what just happened? Now, I might say you've got a major knee injury and you're walking around in a brace for the next six weeks or the next 12 weeks. Well, how is that impacting your day-to-day life? Mm -hmm. That's changing your schedule. How is being away from your team impacting your mental health and your mental focus? One of the best things you can do if you're an athlete who's sustained an injury is find ways to be involved with your team. Mm -hmm. If you can't play, what else can you do on the sidelines to stay involved? And this also comes back into becoming a leader or becoming a servant for your group. If you're injured but you can still be at practice and you can still help maybe the athletic trainer or help the coach or help do some other form of administration or management of that team, that's Mm going to keep you involved. That's going to keep you engaged in what's going on and build camaraderie and respect. And then when you come back, they're going to be your teammates are going to be cheering you on in the yeah. process. It's going to be like you never left. Correct. Yes. And um, whatever we do, we don't want to remove an athlete mentally from mm-hmm. their situation mm-hmm. um, because we want them to have that smooth transition back in. Mm-hmm. But pain itself is not just the nuts and bolts of the injury. Pain often has a psychology associated with it. Mm-hmm. So when we are stressed, we feel pain more. Mm-hmm. Cortisol is the stress hormone that you're, is in your brain and in your body. And when that gets secreted, that causes you to perceive threats at a higher rate. Hmm. Um, and one way that we actually help young people become more resilient is through physical exercise. Mm-hmm. So when you show up to your workouts every day at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m., whenever you don't feel like being there, pushing your, yourself through that, is a great way to actually build your mental resiliency and build your brain's ability to handle mm-hmm. that level of cortisol. So mm-hmm. physical health and mental health literally go together in your brain chemistry. So one thing we do is teach athletes how to embrace the discomfort of conditioning. Because once you do that, say you're going to go through really hard in your workouts with the strength and conditioning staff. Mm-hmm. During that workout, your body got stressed and your brain had choices to make am I going to continue pushing or am I going to give 92% today instead of what I know 100% is, which we all have that little angel and devil on our shoulders yes. when we're in the middle don't of a hard workout. No, don't do it. Yes. Don't do it. Don't do it. Right. Yeah. And so the more that you find 
the resilience to combat that, the more you also have that same neurochemical pathway mm. laid down when there's two minutes left in the game and it's a tie game. Mm. You have handled that level of cortisol before. And we want you to be able to handle that, not just in the rehab process, but when mm. you get back out onto the field. Um, pain itself is also partially coming from the brain. There's no nerve in your body that says pain. Yeah. If you go cut your finger, there's not a pain nerve down here that says that. It's all in here. It's a signal that gets sent back mm -hmm. up and then comes back down. Now, we don't say that so that you think, oh, my gosh, it's all in my head. Yeah. When it, it kind of is, it kind literally, of is, you yeah. know, neurologically, it literally is. <laughs> However, mm -hmm. we say that because we have to address the mental part of an injury mm -hmm. so that the physical can come along with that. And the two are married together. And we have to make sure that they're both achieving at the same level. So do you recommend athletes to really challenge themselves to be uncomfortable, especially you mentioned before, like in, as an example, you know, waking up early, getting your workout in, even if you don't want to be there, are those the type of things that you recommend to athletes to be able to combat, you know, that strain of mental health, I guess you could say, you know, putting the two together to hopefully better your physical and mental health. Yes, and it's got to be individualized. It's got to be personalized. And it's different based on the day. So if we had little, like, Apple Watch barometers mm -hmm. on ourselves all day, every day, you have to make sure you've recovered, but you also have to make sure you know how to push through. Mm -hmm. And the hard part as a young athlete is knowing where both of those lines are. Mm. And sometimes if we haven't pushed ourselves enough, we don't know how much we can push those limits. Mm. And we start resorting back to the, I need to recover too much. Mm -hmm. But then I feel like the science has gone back and forth. It used to be no pain, no gain. Mm -hmm. Now the pendulum, I think, has swung too far into the I've got to rest, recover, and take a mental health day when there's, a, there's this perfect balance that you have to hit between the two. Yes. And the hard part is only you know the answer to that. Mm. Sometimes, I shouldn't say that, sometimes people are... <laughs> yeah, sometimes people can be a bit dramatic in that regard. <laughs> or a little too much to the grindstone, and they yes. need somebody to tell them that, hey, you need to go take a day mm -hmm. to rest and recover. Sometimes so. it's almost the opposite. It's almost where like, hey, your body is fine. I think this is a mental this is a mental game that you're playing with yourself, telling yourself that you are injured when in reality, you're not as injured as you think you are. Is that the case? Not always. Not so always. it's tough. Mm -hmm. And that's why I said this has to be individualized. Mm. And nothing is worse than being injured and no one believing you. Mm. I've had to deal with a lot of those mm -hmm. cases where it wasn't the athlete not being injured that they weren't in. It was the person evaluating the injury missed something, hmm. which is really hard to do. Yes. And, um, not sorry, not missing something is hard to do. Yeah. I mean. Hard to go through as an athlete. It's hard to go through as an athlete, but it's also difficult as a healthcare provider. Mm. We do our absolute best yeah. to provide for athletes. And sometimes we miss things. We can't, there's no doctor that's ever bad at a thousand by any means. Yeah. Um, so as a healthcare provider, I, I have to be humble and ask teammates for help all the time and say, what am I missing mm -hmm. that's not getting this person better? Um, sometimes just due to whatever factors are going on in life, we're not always ready to recover, mm -hmm. which is hard. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's hard to admit sometimes, but there's patients that I haven't been able to help before. And that doesn't mean it was always a bad rehab plan. That doesn't yeah. mean the athlete wasn't trying. That just mean that means sometimes their body's not ready to heal itself. Mm -hmm. 
and our goal is to help the body have the right environment to heal itself, right? Or, you know, after a surgery, we've done the surgery, we are trying to give you the best stimulus to heal, and it doesn't always work out that way. So when I say things have to be individualized, we can't throw blanket statements, whether it's no pain, no gain, or whether it's it's all in your head, mm -hmm. or the opposite of we do have to focus solely on the recovery and not teach you how to push enough. Mm -hmm. We really have to provide the right environment, and we have to provide the right prescription of your conditioning or your training and practice to make sure that you've been in situations where you understand how much you have left to give. Mm. And once you have practiced giving 1% more every day or pushing a little bit more into that discomfort over the course of a couple of years in the games, in practice, and being in the college athletics environment, you have a better understanding of that. And some people have different understandings of it than others based on how old they are, how much experience they have. Yeah. But until you've pushed through, you don't know. When I was in college, I used to have an alarm clock, and I was so hard on myself if I didn't get my eight hours of sleep hmm. that I would actually get in my head, you know, the alarm clock's blaring at me, I see the number, <laughs> and say, I know I'm, I've already lost an hour, and now I'm sitting there going, oh, crap, I'm going to feel terrible tomorrow. Yeah. Well, that was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, because then you felt terrible. I felt terrible. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was an adult and, you know, out of graduate school that I actually understood how to push myself through some of that. Mm -hmm. Now, some of your brain chemistry also changes mm -hmm. as you age yes. and allows you to get by with less sleep, um, which another myth is the eight-hour rule. When you're 19 or so in your developmental years, you really need more like nine hours. Mm -hmm. So if you feel like you need to sleep all the time and you're <laughs> a college probably athlete, do. you, you probably, probably do. do. I'm not even an athlete, and I feel like I need to sleep all the time. <laughs> right. So there's nothing wrong with that. And actually, one of the best things, if you can do it, not everyone can do this. This is why I say it's so individualized. Mm -hmm. But a power nap in the middle of the day, like oh, a 25-minute nap. Those are really so beneficial. Mm -hmm. So beneficial just getting through the day. And sometimes that's like leaning the seat back in your car and just doing it there before practice. It's happened before. <laughs> it's happened before, trust me. Yeah, or you know, sometimes you find a little napping spot to go to mm -hmm. that you kind of make your thing. Um, I was a drumline member and did a couple of professional drumlines. Mm -hmm. And when we would take lunch breaks, I would actually bring my lunch so that I could eat it within the first 10 minutes of that 60 or 90 minute block and then go take a 25 minute nap. And that was my ritual that allowed me to come back with the right mental focus and right mm -hmm. physical recovery before afternoon or evening practices yeah. that were grueling. How did you practically be at full strength at right. that point? Yes. Right, it's almost like you've just recovered and stepped out of bed for the first time. So the power of napping is definitely not something you want to overlook as a college athlete. Yeah, especially nowadays society puts that, you know, all grind, you know, no sleep type mindset on a lot of younger people. I am, I'm a prime example of someone that, that believed that for a long time, but also has started to see the need for recovery and sleep. You know, what do you have to say to people that really don't want to give up that type of lifestyle? You know, the all grind, you know, no break, no stop, no sleep almost mindset. Because I know a lot of athletes that have that. Know thyself. Mm. You have to truly understand yourself, your body, and your mind better than anyone. Um, I am someone who is wired differently. I am all go, mm -hmm. all the time. And my wife is the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. She does go at a pace that 
really values rest and recovery in the evenings. Um, but she's way more efficient than me during some daylight hours. So <laughs> that's why I say there's different personalities have mm -hmm. different ways of going about it. And we, you have to make sure that whatever you're doing is appropriate for you within the constraints and the structure mm -hmm. of your college day, which is difficult. Yeah. But you have to understand yourself so that you can know how hard you need to push yourself. The other question is how good do you want to be? Mm -hmm. So you are not, a lot of people will use, I think the reason I probably harp on the, the pendulum swinging too far into the recovery and taking a lot of time for yourself is there are a number of people that use that as an excuse and only they know it, whether it's an mm -hmm. excuse or not, as an excuse to not push through mm. and to not push into that discomfort or that fatigue or that um, willingness to get to the next level. Mm. If you want to be great at anything, you have to work harder than the people around you. Absolutely. And it is, I believe it's called the Pareto distribution, was a phenomenon that um, somebody actually put a graph to. It was like an economics graph. But this is a law of nature. So let's, let's take a macro perspective real quick. If you go to the Amazon jungle, 5% of trees get 95% of the water. Mm. It's because they tower over top. Yep. Yeah. If you go into economics of any country, 20% are creating 80% of the wealth. Mm -hmm. Or you can get even further into that. 95% are usually creating, or 5% are creating 95% of that wealth. Yep. If you look in athletics, 1% of the athletes make it all the way. Mm -hmm. And so they're the ones that are really getting all the minutes and all the accolades mm -hmm. along the way. There's a reason for that. If you take hours worked per week, and then you track it out past, you know, the 40-hour work week is what we generally have as employees and employers. Mm -hmm. But every hour past that also increases with wages. So the amount of money you make is almost directly and exponentially correlated to how many hours you're willing to put in. Yes. People don't realize that. It's the same thing with athletics. The amount of work you're willing to put in is the amount you're going to get out. Exponentially. So yes. it's like if you put in you know, 90 more minutes of practice on your own during the week compared to all your teammates, and you do that all season, exponentially, you're going to get better mm -hmm. and better. Um, I was personally, let's say, use the drumline example that I was talking about earlier. I was terrible when I first came into high school. I had auditioned for, like, mm -hmm. the all-region group, and I got 17th out of 18. Mm. And then the following summer, all I did was practice a couple hours every day. It's like this phenomenon of practicing individually. Most people don't realize how beneficial that is and how much better that makes you. Yes. I wasn't thinking anything about it. <laughs> but the next year, I was number two in the region. Wow. It's just because I put in that much more mm -hmm. every single day, which added up to five times that every single week. Mm -hmm. And then you look at that across a year, and it's no surprise when the successful people are successful in a sport. Some of that's talent, obviously. I'm not yes. saying that. Some of that is coaching and opportunity. Mm -hmm. But talent without hard work is nothing at all. Right. You can't talk to a Ronaldo or a Michael Jordan or a Kobe Bryant or any of those big figures and look back at the videos that they produced and talked about it. They were the ones who also showed up first and left yes. last. And that's a leadership principle. You're the first one to arrive. You're the last one to leave. Mm -hmm. If you're not doing that, you will get questioned as a leader mm -hmm. because you're not setting the example. Whatever you're asking your teammates to do, if you're not holding that standard yourself, they're not going to respect you and listen to you. 
So LeBron James is always the first one to the gym and always the last one mm. to leave. Giannis in the NBA with the Milwaukee Bucks. There are videos of him having to push the um, the ladder out of the, the ladder out of the way. Right, it's just free throws on road games. Yeah, he's going back onto the court until the team bus leaves or until the plane leaves, and he is practicing till every last second. Mm-hmm. It is not a surprise that he is top three in MVP voting at the end of every single season. Mm-hmm. And you look at he's one one player on his team out of fifteen. That is that number I was mentioning earlier. That's you know between five and ten percent. So seven and a half percent. He is the one that's really generating all the offense mm-hmm. for them. So you have to be willing to put that in. And only you know the answer. You have to learn what that answer is for you mm-hmm. and then figure out how do you create a system for yourself or how do you create a method for yourself to be able to push into that. You still value your recovery. You still value pushing through in performance. Now how do you consistently do your magic formula every day? Mm. Now it's obvious you're very passionate about what you do. What would you say the best part about your job is for the final question? Um, w- the best part about my job is the, the end, mm-hmm. the end goal. Seeing so. them back on the field, you know, seeing them play the sport they love the most. Yeah, so actually I don't tend to watch them uh-huh. when they go back. Um, I think it's bad luck mm-hmm. for me, which all, it's all superstition. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> I just want to see them later on uh-huh. and in a capacity that is not them getting treatment by me. Yes. So I do want to see them back on the field, and I want to get the text like, man, I just played great. It feels so good to be mm-hmm. back out there. Or I do want to get the photo of them scoring their first goal afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to be in the stands for that because I think, I'll, again, I'll put it in their head. If they see me in the corner, they're like, Oh, no. That's the guy who just spent the last six months torturing me after my injury. PTSD, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, joking. Uh, yeah, I'm 50-50 on whether that's a joke or not. Yeah. But <laughs> I do oh really value seeing that, but I also value the journey to get them there. Yes. Which, if you don't love the day-to-day aspect of being able to care for somebody mentally and physically mm-hmm. and watching their growth, then – the end result is very superficial. Yes, so absolutely. You have to love being a mentor to young people in order to be a great healthcare provider to young athletes. Mm-hmm. Wow. So. Well said. Now, are you ready for this final segment? Let's go. All right, it's going to be a little bit loud, mm-hmm. so hold yourself here. Ladies and gentlemen, it is rapid fire questions. I'm the first time with a non-athlete. Okay, Dr. Elliot, what is your favorite color? Blue. Favorite dish to cook? Mm. My favorite dish to cook, mm-hmm. not to eat. Oh, I'm so simple. How about this? It's embarrassing. We could do that. Burgers to eat. Okay, so you like to cook burgers. What about to eat? To eat? Yes. Steak. Steak. Oh, good choice. Dream car. Dream car. Um, going to be a Lambo. Lambo. Good choice as well. Now, if you could move anywhere for a year, everything provided for you, where would you go? Hawaii. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Good choice. Favorite podcast host? Colin Cowherd. Wow. Oh, you suck. You suck. That was good. <laughs> that was funny. You got me off track there. I was like, yes, me. Wait a second. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's been episode 25. Dr. Elliot, anything you want to say to the camera? I hope you enjoy it. Hope you do too. Peace out.